So Luke chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 12 through to 36, and you can find that on page 729. One of those days, Jesus went out to a, to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas, son of Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because the power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your names as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as they would have, as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Oh, wait. Ah. <laughs> Did I? Oh, okay. Yep. Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. But be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So now it, now it is actually done. Um, okay, well, we're going to spend some time praying, and then we're going to um, look at God's word. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you that you have revealed yourself to us so clearly through the creation, through your word, and in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Father, we uh, thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have uh, poured out your spirit uh, into our world and into our lives. We ask that now your spirit would uh, grant us, uh, that your spirit would use the sword of the spirit, your word, to penetrate our hearts and to reshape our thinking, to reshape our attitudes, that uh, we would be people who reflect your glory and your your values and your love uh, in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John Lee Clary was a, a man from a, a tough background who was, who was full of hate. He had been a member of the Ku Klux Klan and as part of the KKK he rose to the position of imperial wizard. Uh, he especially hated uh, coloured people and amongst those whom he hated, he hated Christians who were of colour. He persecuted them. He spent uh, years uh, trying to uh, intimidate them, uh, even burning down their church buildings. But over the years, uh, internal politicking within the KKK uh, became intense and he found himself on the outer, they turned against him. Uh, He was still a KKK-type racist person. But uh, one day, in an act of desperation, he, in a room by himself, picked up a Bible. And he thought, there is no way the good Lord could forgive me. I have been so full of hate and violence. But he picked up that Bible and it fell open at Luke chapter 15, which is the story of the prodigal son. He read the story, he identified with it, and he got on his knees. And he said, and I quote, God, my life is screwed up. I'm in a mess. I need your help. He went to church that Sunday And at the end of the service, he went to the front and he gave his life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, John Lee Clary actually asked an African-American pastor whose church the Klan had burnt down to become his mentor. Imagine that. uh, An imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan asks a black man to be, his, to be his mentor, to guide him and to give him wisdom. Why did he, partic- why did he particularly choose that uh, African-American pastor? Well, he recalled that he remembered a time when that particular pastor, in a confrontation with him, uh, he looked, uh, the pastor had looked him in the eye and said to him, you can't do enough to make me want to hate you because I'm going to love you and I'm going to pray for you whether you want me to or not. I saw a sign outside a church in Warhope a year or so ago which said this, it said, love your enemies, it'll really mess with their heads. 
Isn't that so true? Isn't that right? Uh, to love our enemies, well, th that's, that's kind of so radical. That's so unexpected. Uh, we, we hope and we expect to be loved by those whom we love, but not by those whom we hate. That's not the way that the world is supposed to operate. But in Luke chapter 6, what Jesus does is he, he takes the value system of the world and he turns it upside down. He turns it on his head, on its head. See, as we've been looking through Luke's gospel, and you might want to have it open up in front of you, we've, we've learnt a little bit about the ministry of Jesus. We've learnt that many, many people came to Jesus, that the crowds flocked around him, people came to him in order to be healed or to be, have demons driven out. And we've heard that people have come to hear him teach, but we actually haven't heard very much about what he taught. Um, save for the, uh, the synagogue in Nazareth, where he said that the scripture of Isaiah was fulfilled in their hearing, we've not actually heard much of the teaching of Jesus, but now that all changes. Because in Luke chapter 6, we have what is often called the Sermon on the Plain. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's the Sermon on the Plain. And we're going to look at this over the next two Sundays. But before Jesus preaches, something very important happens. In verse 12, Jesus went to a mountain for a time of intense prayer. Luke tells us that Jesus, alone with the Father, prayed throughout the whole of the night. Now, that ought to be a signal to us that there's something going on, that there is something important which is about to happen, and indeed that is the case, because first thing next morning, what does Jesus do? Well, we're told that he called his disciples together. Now, let me just clarify this. A disciple is someone who is a follower. Um, in the ancient world, um, when people had, when a, a person who, who was a teacher uh, wasn't just listened to for the sake of getting information into the head, people would actually follow that person. And a follower is a disciple. Jesus had many, many, many disciples at this point in time. But here we're told that from amongst them, in verses 12 through to 16, from amongst them, he chooses specifically 12 of them, and the list of names is there for us. It would be a good idea to memorise those names, wouldn't it? So we can actually know who the 12 are. He chooses 12 men and he appoints them as apostles. Now, an apostle is a disciple, but an apostle is a subset of disciples because the word apostle means someone who has been sent out. And in the ancient world, it was like a, an authorised messenger, an emissary, a, a, um, an, an, a, an envoy, someone who's been approved to take a message uh, and to be sent out. So Jesus here... Uh, appoints 12 men to be his emissaries, his envoys, his messengers. Because these apostles, minus Judas Iscariot, who would later be replaced by Matthias, these apostles would become the messengers 
of the gospel. They would become leaders of God's people. Twelve apostles. Kind of reminds you of the twelve tribes, doesn't it? And so, on a mountain, talking with God, now with new leaders, in verse 17, Jesus comes down the mountain to a, uh, to a level place and there uh, there is a large crowd of disciples. There is a great multitude of many other people from other places, including outside of uh, Judea and Galilee and uh, from Tyre and Sidon. There's this large crowd of people and Jesus begins to teach. Now, in some senses, this is a little bit like Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, when he had uh, met up with God, uh, he had the leaders of God's people with him and came down Mount Sinai. We read about this in Exodus. And the covenant with God's people, Israel, was established at the base of the mountain. But Israel's leaders... Israel's spiritual leaders have got hard hearts, have they not? We've seen that, haven't we? As we've uh, uh, looked through Luke's Gospel so far and we've seen the interactions with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the spiritual leaders of Israel, these were men who thought of themselves as being good, moral, upright, religious men but they didn't hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. And here, what's happening is that Jesus, it's, this is part of Jesus creating a new leadership, a new leadership of God's people, because his purpose is to create a new people uh, through a new covenant who would be the true people of God. So, having appointed 12 apostles, what he now says to the crowd is, uh, is like the charter. It's like this is how God's new people uh, will live. And it's very, very radical. First of all, <clears throat> in verses 20 through to 26, we see the, the radical values of this new people of God. Now, in our Aussie culture, when you think about the good life, what sort of a picture comes up in your mind? I've been seeing on television lately an ad for a new bank. Have you seen it? It's called Me Bank. How about that? Go to mebank.com.au forward slash frank. I don't know what that's about. Me Bank because it's about me. It's about all, me and my wealth and everything serving me. What do you think about when you think of the good life in terms of Aussie culture? Well, I think a, a healthy bank balance, um, people who love us, happy times, good food and so on. Now, indeed, these are good things. Uh, it, it is not great being poor, sad, hungry and unpopular. <laughs> Which means that what Jesus says here seems strange. Because in verses 20 to 23, he looks at this large crowd and he tells them who is, who is blessed. Have a look at it. Uh, the people who are blessed, well, he describes them as being, in verse 
20, um, blessed are you who are poor. Uh, blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when men hate you. So the people that Jesus says who are blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. Very strange. Then in verses 24 to 26, he describes those who are not blessed. He, he, there's a series of woes that kind of match up with the, the blessings, but they're the opposite. Because there in verse 24, he says, Woe to you who are rich. Uh, woe to you who are fed well now. Uh, woe to you who laugh. Uh, woe to you when men speak well of you. And so the people who he describes as being not blessed are the rich, the well-fed, the laughing and the popular. In that crowd that day, there would have been people who believed that if you were rich, then you were obviously godly because God was blessing you. Unless, of course, you're a tax collector. Um, the flip side of that being that if you were poor or if you had some physical disability that helped to make you poor, or if you were somehow outcast, uh, from then, then you are not blessed by God. And so obviously there's a problem in your spiritual life. Uh, this is why the disciples had a little bit of trouble understanding uh, how it is that it would be easier for the, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Because when Jesus said that to them, they said, whoa, well, if, if that's the case, if the rich man can't get into heaven, then who can? What hope is there for anyone? Or in John 9, where they, when they met up with a man who was blind uh, and they wondered, well, he was actually born blind. So if he was born blind, then whose sin was he being punished for was it his sin or was it the sin of his parents you can see their thinking isn't it blindness means that you're actually not righteous that you've somehow sinned but what jesus is saying here is that the truly blessed person is the one who loves god rather than loving this world and if that is us then although there is much we will enjoy about this world, we will experience a certain dissatisfaction with this life. Uh, we will mourn. We will mourn and weep over sin, our own sin and uh, the sin of others as it impacts the world. We will grieve over the reality that God is not honoured and loved and worshipped and obeyed as he should be. And irrespective of our personal circumstances, whether we are wealthy or poor, whether we are well-fed or hungry, uh, whether we in Jesus' day were an outcast leper or whether we're a repentant Pharisee like Nicodemus, we know that this world is not our home. Uh, we know that, these, that we have a heavenly home which we long for, a heavenly future 
which determines the values by which we live now as we trust in Jesus and as we seek to obey God. Now, sometimes that's going to make us unpopular. Uh, In verse 22, Jesus talked about us being hated and excluded and insulted and rejected because of him. And the, the issue there is that as we are people who live with the, the heavenly vision, as that is the, our goal in life, and as the heavenly vision affects and impacts the values that we have now, as we are seeking first after uh, God's kingdom and his righteousness, then what that is going to do is that it is going to put us at odds with the society in which we live. For our society tells us that this life, this 80, 90, whatever years, that's it. That's it. It's all that there is. And so you might as well maximise your wealth, maximise your pleasures, uh, live as you want to live, uh, so long as you don't commit any serious crimes uh, and we'll put you in jail for that. But live as you want to live because... Even if there is a God, uh, he doesn't really care. Uh, He doesn't really have any absolute standards of uh, behaviour and there is no day of judgement. But Jesus says that God does care and there will be a time when the pleasures of ungodly people and the suffering of, of godly people will be reversed. The pleasures of ungodly people are for now. The sufferings of godly people are only now, as Jesus repeatedly says in these verses. For life does not end when we die. There is the reality of judgment. There is the reality of heaven. There is the reality of hell. Um, Cassie was in a church just last Sunday where the minister said that you don't actually hear too many sermons in churches on the subject of hell. And uh, he was actually giving a sermon purely on the subject of hell. This is a little mini sermon on the subject of hell. Hell is a reality. There is a day of judgment. And uh, those who do not uh, love God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of his of his kingdom forever and ever. That hell is where you do not want to be because hell is where God is not. So in what Jesus is saying here, uh, there is comfort for some, but there is warning to others. So the question therefore is, are our values being shaped by these realities? Are we living our lives now uh, in the light of eternity? Because if we are, then we will be seeking after God and his righteousness. We will be holding very loosely to the things of this world. And we will be seeking to reflect God's glory in the way that we live. There's another question, and that is, are these truths actually being preached in our churches? a little bit like the, uh, the minister at the church that Cassie went to last Sunday said. Well, take a look at verse 26 
where Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. False prophets tend to be celebrated, don't they? Um, They're celebrated because they don't actually say very much about judgment. They're celebrated because they say a lot about maximising and getting the most out of the pleasures of this life now. And that is not in contradiction to the values of the ungodly society in which we live. Now, secondly, in verses 27 to 36, these radical values now lead to a radical kind of love. Let me just read verse 32 and following for you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who sin them, who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Notice how Jesus uses the word sinners. Now, we've seen that earlier on in chapter 5. Uh, remember when, the, when Jesus reached out to, to Levi, the tax collector, and Levi was so happy, so thrilled that Jesus would do that, that he, he put on a banquet, didn't he, uh, in honour of Jesus. And he invited all of his mates, uh, all of these other tax collectors and people who hang around with tax collectors. And the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law took umbrage over that. And uh, they spoke to Jesus and his disciples and said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, what did, he, what did they mean by sinners? I guess they meant the kind of low life that would actually hang around with people who were tax collectors. Here, Jesus talks about sinners. But from the mouth of Jesus, um, sinners actually seem to be very normal people, don't they? Um, They seem to be, well, they're they're people who love. They're people who do good. They're people who are willing to lend their possessions. But the question is, who do they love? They love those who love them. Uh, Who are the people who they do good towards. They do good towards people who do good towards them. Who do they lend to? They lend to people who've got a good credit rating. Right? That really doesn't sound dreadful, does it? I mean, that kind of sounds like most ordinary middle-class Aussies. Uh, you know, who, the kind of people who you'd be happy to live, have living next door to you. You know, <clears throat> you lend me your hedge cutter and I'll you know, lend you my um, whipper stipper. Um, that, that's, it's actually a very normal kind of love. It's the kind of love that makes society work. 
Uh, even in the uh, first century, the, the Romans, the way that they... Um, the way that they kept control over the various territories that they occupied was to do good things for the leaders of those places. They would do good things for the leaders of Judea and good things for the leaders of Galilee because in return, the leaders of Galilee and leaders of Judea would do good things back to the Romans. It kind of kept things under control. You do good to me, I'll do good for you and so on. And in our society, it's a kind of a normal sort of love. We love those who love us. We give to those who, you know, give us Christmas presents. And we, uh, that's normal kind of love, but it's not actually Christian love. For what is God's love like? In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this that whilst we were yet sinners, there's that word again, Christ died for us. He goes on to say that uh, we were God's enemies whom he reconciled unto himself through the death of his son. And Paul knew this very personally, didn't he? Um, in, um, to his young friend Timothy, he wrote, here is a trustworthy saying which deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save people who don't slam doors <laughs> no. Christ Jesus here is a trustworthy saying which deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul says I am the worst John Lee Clary and a whole stack of other people might want to have a fight with Paul over who's been the worst sinner in the world. Uh, one of the, our members of our congregation is very close friends with a man who, in the younger part of his life, uh, committed one of the most despicable crimes in Australian history. Uh, a man who is despised and hated by, uh, by those who know him, a man whose name is in the record books for his atrocity. Uh, but God loves him and uh, uh, Christ died for him and he's a brother. He's one of our Christian brothers who our brother in church here uh, visits on a regular basis in his prison cell. And so Christ Jesus came into the world See, the Freemasons have got a saying. They say, uh, making good men better since time immemorial. Christ didn't come into the world to make good men better. Christ came into the world to take sinners, people such as us, and love us, forgive us, be merciful, and be gracious towards us. That's why he came. Now, therefore, the question is, uh, how do we reflect that in our lives? You see, God's new people, whom God has created through the death and the resurrection 
of his son Jesus and the outpouring of his spirit, God's new people is, a, is not a community of moral, self-righteous, religious people. It's a community of sinners who've been saved. And so what it does is it, it takes, takes love to a whole different level. It's unheard of love. Um, in verse 27, But I tell you who hear me, says Jesus, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. So if he takes your jacket, give him your shirt as well. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's radical, isn't it? That's, that's a kind of love that, needs, that will change us. But the question is, how will it change our, our love? And uh, I think maybe it's helpful to say a couple of things by way of qualification... Uh, firstly, I don't think Jesus is saying here that Christians must always be passive doormats. Um, clearly, there are times when we will speak up against wrong behaviour. Jesus does so. Uh, clearly, we have a responsibility on occasions to, to discipline those who we have responsibility over <clears throat> in our home, uh, in our workplace and in the church. Sometimes in church, church leaders need to actually exercise discipline uh, over in respect to erring brothers and sisters. But we do so not out of a sense of retaliation or revenge. We do so out of a, out of a, a love for the person and a responsibility and a love for the broader uh, church community. We do so for the good. Related to that, what Jesus is saying here does not provide grounds for a Christian submitting to and continuing uh, to their peril in an abusive relationship. Uh, sometimes there'll be uh, times when a person, we need to extract ourselves from a situation uh, because of the harm that would take place unless we do so. Uh, and Jesus here, uh, I don't think, is saying that we just give away anything to everyone whenever they want it uh, because that's sometimes not actually good for them. As a minister, on occasions people come to me and they ask me for money. I don't just give them everything that they ask for. I don't give them money uh, uh, if I think that they're going to go and spend it on grog. I, I'll, I might give them food, but I'm not going to just give people everything that they ask for whenever they ask for it because that's not actually necessarily good for them. The principle here is that when we are wronged, we do not retaliate. Uh, the world retaliates. 
Uh, the world escalates situations and conflict. Uh, you do this to me, I'm going to do that to you, and that's how wars happen. The principle here is that when we are wronged, we do not retaliate because we value the person more than we value that which we might lose. And so in, instead of working out ways of getting revenge, what we should be doing is looking for opportunities to do something good for the person. Uh, even when we might actually be standing ground on a particular, in a particular way uh, for doing that which is right, we will nevertheless be looking for an opportunity to bless that person. Now, I don't always get this right in my own life, but uh, to illustrate, just to give you a practical example of how it might work, at one stage there was a, a non-Christian who was being particularly nasty towards, um, towards our family and it was doing so over a period of several years. Uh, we, um, we did not retaliate. Uh, we did create some relational boundaries uh, for the sake of protecting the family, but we did not repay evil for evil. And when we heard that the person was unwell, we didn't gloat over that and say, oh, great, you know, he's getting what he deserves. We didn't gloat over that. Uh, instead, I went to his home and I knocked on his door and I uh, worked out a practical need that he had that I could actually help him with that practical need. And that may have surprised him, but it was a, a turning point in the relationship which has been relatively good ever since then. He hasn't come to know Christ, although I might add that he did accept an invitation to come to a Christian meeting. And that's not a bad thing for us to think about. When someone does you wrong, think about how to respond in a godly way. And think about, will the way that you respond make it harder for you then to tell the person about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or will the way that you respond actually make it easier and open up a door, an opportunity for you to share with them about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, which you have just expressed in the way that you've responded. So that's something to think about. John Lee Clary uh, went to be with the Lord last year, as I understand it, in an interview, he once told what it was like the very first time that he entered into an African-American church on a Sunday, not to burn it down, but to worship God with brothers and sisters in Christ whom he once hated. Interesting experience. Because he said when he walked in the door, half the congregation was scared stiff. What is this guy doing here? What is about to happen next?
What happened next was he went up the front and he turned to them and he shared his story about the radical, life-changing love of God in Jesus and expressed by the pastor of that church towards him. So let's think through um, our love. Let's think through how we respond when we're being wronged. Let's think it through as we are the new people of God who look forward to that heavenly reality. And let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for your outrageous love that uh, you've expressed to our world and to us in the person and the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that whilst we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Father, we don't deserve that. And we know that it is an act of your pure grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray that our values and the way that we live our life would be shaped by our, our heavenly hope. We pray that that would be reflected in our relationships, particularly with those who do wrong towards us. Father, for we know that as sons of the Most High, that we need to bear that family image, that we want to be like you, for you are kind to the ungrateful and wicked. We want to be merciful, just as you have been merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.